0: This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by 23andme.com. With 23andme's genetic service, you can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, or Africa. Visit 23 slash no meat. That's the number 23 slash no meat.
1: Hi, this is Hope.
0: This is Kareem.
1: Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat
0: Athlete Radio. Doug, I think you will be excited to hear that I've been checking out the Keys 100 ultramarathon. That makes me very excited to hear. <laughs> yeah, like uh, seriously last... thinking about it. Yeah, I would say semi-seriously thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've been. I've. I, I haven't felt this way in a long time. I'm I'm scoping out the website, looking at all the pictures, thinking about the calendar, the temperature, what, what it would take to train over the winter, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where the longest runs would be, what the temperature would be like then, and all that. Uh, which is which is more seriously than I've ever thought of, or not ever, but than I've thought of a race in a long time. So I'm quite excited about it, and thankful to the person whose name I don't remember who uh, suggested that I check this one out.
1: Mallory. Shout out, Mallory. Um, Mallory. Yeah, I think uh, that is really, really exciting. We could be training for a race at the same time
0: this winter. I, I know that. I thought about that. It, it just sounds sounds wonderful. Oh, I'm just giddy with excitement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I, I'm i still not over the hurdle that I have talked about before, where, which is that my neighborhood is like a one-third mile loop and surrounded by these sort of country mountain roads that are not at all uh, good for running so I, I haven't like gotten out of the neighborhood and gone for any significant distance run yet other than doing six or nine loops around my hilly loop hmm.
1: i wonder so, if i wonder if there is a place like three quarters of a mile that you could drive to that you know isn't ideal but is just a neighborhood that's much better to run to so you're not having to drive 15 minutes to get to some like perfect place but you right right you can just drive like a three quarters of a mile out of out of your neighborhood
0: yeah, and just like park in the grocery store parking lot or something, and then yeah, yeah, that's a good that is a good thought, Doug. I should I should explore that. You should. So anyway, I'm quite excited about that. Uh, it is something something new and different, and uh, and I think part of the reason it's exciting for me is because we we just had a very rough weekend. Actually, Sid Garza Hillman, our friend, came and visited, which was nice. He spoke at the Triangle Veg Fest, and uh, we were going to actually do a live podcast with him. But then my dog Linus unfortunately got really sick. Well, he was already sick, but he we didn't know it. But he got very sick that day. Sid was here and uh, ended up ended up passing away, which was quite difficult for us, and still is. It's only been three days since then. Um, the only reason I bring that up, I, I was thinking a lot about. I don't know. I I, I as you know, I'm sort of an anti Facebook type of guy, um, and I and I. You know, people put stuff on there like that their dog died, and I don't. I just, of course, I feel bad for people. I also always am like, okay, this person obviously wants some attention, so they're they're putting this on Facebook because like I don't know, and I'm not I'm not criticizing people for doing that. It's just that in my head, I'm always like, okay, whatever people put in there for me, it's like, okay, they want attention, so they're doing Facebook. Um, but I I just feel like it's like a I don't know. He he had such a role in nomad athlete happening because when I when I went uh, vegetarian back, this was eight, nine years ago now. Um, it was an ethical choice. And, and the reason that happened is because I had gotten this dog Linus and it was like my first dog as, as a grown up, And I just connected with him like, you know, like, like nothing else. And, uh, and then I started thinking like, I, someone told me that pigs are just as smart as dogs. And then that, that was like the first crack for me. It was like every time I started making bacon, it was like, God, this is like, you know, I'm basically eating Linus here. <laughs> and, uh, And that was the beginning. And then then it became this like inconsistency in my head. of Like, how can I how can I eat this way, but feel this way? And that was the beginning. So he just had this very significant role in uh, in my own evolution, just mentally and and ethically and whatever else. So I figured it would be it would uh, I I could honor him slightly by just mentioning here that he uh, has passed away and just thought. I don't know. That's why I don't please don't reach out to me and say sorry about it. I don't I don't that's not why I'm saying this. I just wanted to kind of mention it for his sake and I guess for mine, but that's all.
1: Well, Linus was a good dog. I miss him. He, uh, he was a very good dog. I miss him being at my feet when we're recording these episodes.
0: That's right. And now you have you'll have fewer allergies when you're here. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Half as many allergies. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, um, that that so like I said the reason I or not the reason but the segue into that is that there's something like a like a like a hundred miler it's nice to have been have this kind of I don't know you know I went to the Tony Robbins thing last last weekend, um, and that kind of got me just you know thinking about lots of new stuff in the future so I, it's 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 good for me to have all this new stuff and uh, the the hundred miler is is one of them so we will see who knows if it'll happen but I'm excited about it.
1: Well, so is there going to be a time when you have to commit by?
0: To to I charge. looked at that. It looks like see this isn't working in my favor. You can register anytime up to race day. It looks like I'm sure it does fill up. Well, actually, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's possible that it would fill up, um, but you can register up until race day. The price goes up every every few months, but like not that much twenty thirty dollars a time. So you know, <laughs> I don't have to lock it in. There's no pressure to get get that registration in there.
1: Oh, how about how about this? Every week I'm going to ask you about it. on the the podcast
0: (laughs) okay so the quality of the podcast will go down until
1: (laughs) yeah until you register yep all right we'll
0: see so today we're
1: talking about ultra marathons
0: yes which is why i led off with that before we went went down the linus road um yeah we're doing we are talking about the things we wish we knew before we ran our first ultra and when we thought about this subject line and title we thought is it just about race day? Is it the things we wish we knew, like while we were training, if someone had given us this hint that, like, hey, watch out for this on race day, uh, or is it before you signed up and started training the things you wish you knew? And and it, for us, it is the latter. I think that's where many more of the uh, insightful things are. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this one. This seems like a fun episode, and uh, we in, in this case we did actually listen to each other's answers again here, each other's uh, ideas before we did this planning. <laughs> and uh, and I was I was surprised though that yours very closely matched mine. So I mean we've got some different ones of course, but um, that that gave me some confidence that we have some some universal truths we've arrived at.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that I think that if we were asking most ultra runners for a list like this, there would be you know some variation of course, but but some of these are definitely going to be on everybody's list. So that makes me feel good.
0: Right. All right. Good. Should we do it?
1: Let's do it. Why don't, okay. use, why don't you kick us off?
0: I will kick us off. Um, so my the number one thing I wish I would have known before I got into it, I wish I would have known this when I started running so that I could have planned for ultras to be in my life earlier than I did, uh, is that you don't need to do nearly the race distance in the training. I think most people who, who come to ultra marathons come to it from a background of having done at least one marathon. Uh, not all, but some. And with a marathon, you basically think of doing – I don't know. You think of like, it feels like it's like you're doing 85% of the distance in your training. And then it's just that little extra that you save for race day uh, for a couple of reasons, but you get up to 20, 22 miles and you're, you're essentially doing a marathon and then it's just doing it on race day with ultras. It's so different than that. And, the hundred is such a good example because it, I think it this this gap between your training distance and your and your actual race distance gets greater as the race distance increases. So with a hundred, I didn't run more than uh, I think I ran a fifty. I ran a twelve hour race and it didn't go very well. And I stopped uh, after like fifty two miles, I think. So you you do between a fifty and a and a hundred k, fifty miler and a hundred k, is I think a most typical hundred miler training programs, which for me is like really. You know that would have made me probably consider it way earlier because the idea of if you just think training for a hundred is going to mean running all these seventy milers and eighty milers, it's just crazy. It just seems like that's a, you're rearranging your entire life, and who's going to actually do that? Uh, but with ultras, you don't. You know you don't need to do that. Fifty k's. I don't know. What do you think, Doug? For fifty k, how how much mileage do you need to do? And like I said, this this gap gets more extreme as the race distance gets longer. But uh, I don't know. 20 maybe do a marathon in your 50k training
1: yeah i mean i think that most people should should try to run a marathon um but if you've never especially if you've never run a marathon but if you run a bunch of them in the past uh then you know 24 25 miles is really about as mm-hmm. far as you need to go right
0: and then for a 50 miler typical is to do a 50k right which 50k is, 30, 30 miles 31 30 miles, so that's yeah. this a gigantic gap that has somehow become created and actually i just people who have just done 50 milers uh with their longest run being like I don't know, back-to-back 20-milers on a Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. So you can do it with even doing less than a 30-mile run um, if, if you're willing to do back-to-back stuff. Yeah, but then
1: you have to run 20 miles two days in a row.
0: Who wants Which to is, do that? Not, <laughs> certainly not
1: me. That is the last thing I could do. Um, yeah, no, I mean, what I tend to do with training for an ultra is, is run the race, the, like, standard race that's less than that. Mm-hmm. So for 50K, I would do a marathon for a 50 miler. I'll do a 50 K for yeah, a hundred K yeah. maybe do a 50 miler. Um, although I didn't do that this year. I didn't go up to a hundred, a 50 miler from a hundred Do people do that?
0: Cause that, that would be sort of an exception, right? That's like a, right.
1: That's pretty, getting close. pretty close to the races. Yeah. I mean, I mean people definitely do do, do that. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I don't think you need to. I mean, I think, uh, even a 50 K or a couple of really long, you know, eight hour days in the, in the mountains that kind of thing will uh will be playing for you
0: yeah good all right well i'm gonna go i'm gonna go again doug and give another because this is a sort of corresponding in its uh in that it would have made me get into it earlier and that is that running trails is really not a big hurdle so for me i had this story in my head as i was trying to train to qualify for boston and i was running all these road marathons and really had never done any trail running i had thought i I knew i kind of wanted to get into ultras it seemed exciting uh But I always said, ah, but then I got to run trails. And I just thought that was this, its own process that was going to take a year of learning how to do before I could really consider training for an ultra. Uh, But I went for my first trail run, found a group of people to do it with, which we highly recommend doing. Um, It just makes the whole thing more approachable and easier and less scary. And... After my first one, I loved trail running. It was awesome. And I was like, well, that's that's not a hurdle at all. Like, yeah, you got to pick your feet up a little bit more and you need maybe to get some different gear and kind of learn a few different techniques of, you know, just getting used to crossing a river and being okay with your shoes getting wet. But like, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, there's not that much different. It certainly, if you get into it, you can find many distinctions that you could make to get better at trail running. But like, it doesn't need to be a major hurdle. It's just, it's just something you start doing and then after, I don't know, five runs on trails, you, you're you a trail runner.
1: After one run on trail, you can be a trail runner. Matt?
0: Yes, th- I mean, that's true. I don't mean to, to discourage anyone. But after, after I don't know, three or right. four runs, like it was comfortable. And I was like, I know how to do this yeah. now. Yes, you know?
1: yeah, I completely agree. But that leads really well into one of mine, which uh, is to not wait until race day to run trails for the first time. Yes. Assuming that your race is an actual trail run. That is a good side um, um, because it will be different and will be uh, slower. And so I think that a lot of people, if they don't have any or much experience on the trail, then they just kind of assume that they can treat it like a marathon, but it will be a little different. So, um, you know, so I would say it's not a big deal to run trails It's definitely not a big deal to run trails, but uh, definitely go out and, and, and give it a shot, you know, give it, do some of your long training runs on, on, on dirt instead of the pavement, um, so that you yes. can get used to that.
0: I think that's a good tip, is to because that that's actually what I did for my hundred miler. Is I did, I don't know, may, maybe four or five of the training run of the long runs. I did them on trails, um, partly because to do a, a, I don't know, fifteen or twenty mile run on trails, you're out there a whole lot longer than you are to do that distance on roads. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one reason to do it, because then you're kind of I think getting more out of your plan. You're getting more of what the plan intended. Uh, assuming it's most most plans are written, I think for a trail marathon with a trail ultra marathon in mind. Um, but you know, I, I found like I was a little worried about that. I was thinking, well, wow, I didn't really do most of this training on trails, and it turned out totally fine. It was not not a problem. But you're right; you got to do some. And if if it was your first, <laughs> if it was your first ultra marathon race day, and that was also your first trail run, that's you, you're doing a lot of new things in one day. There, I, I would not advise that at all.
1: Yeah. And so, in the in that same line of, of things that uh, m- you know, when you're th- when you're considering training, uh, and and that might make it a little easier the decision for you, um, my, one of mine is that not all ultramarathons are created equal. And this is kind of a positive thing. That sounds a little bit negative, but um, what I mean by that is a lot of people they read something like Born to Run, or they you know, I don't know, fo- start following Killian Jornet on 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 Facebook or whatever and think that every ultramarathon is this kind of like high alpine, high altitude, <laughs> right, you know, right. race in, in Colorado or, or wherever, um, in Spain. Um, and that's that's not true. There there are there are road ultramarathons, there are ones that are on like a rails to trails bike path kind of thing. There are very, very gentle as far as elevation gain and the type of trail. They're very gentle ultramarathons where it's really more about just the distance than it is the train itself, uh, and those are a great place to start. And then you don't, if you don't have access to many trails or something like that, and you you can't go on these big tough training runs, then um, then that's a good place for you to get a feel for the distance uh, while not really having to worry about the terrain.
0: Yes, very important insight there, Doug. Um, they are totally different. So I I've, I've done a hundred miler, but I feel like. I, I have not done anything close to, like, I don't know. Ma- not not that I've considered that I had mastered the 100-mile distance. <laughs> but, like, I basically did a different sport than someone who goes out and does Western States. It just, right. it just I mean, it's, you can't compare it. It's just totally different. Mine was in Ohio, and, and I thought it was kind of surprisingly hilly and lots of hiking up hills. But if you look at the elevation profiles and the differences in, in those, I mean, it is insane. And, and Leadville and, and the altitude. Like, there's just so many different challenges that you can work into an ultramarathon if that is the goal. And uh, and you know uh, I, no you can't master it because there's always there's always more and there's always some crazy guy who's trying to do back to back bad waters pushing a stroller or
1: something. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. So but, always that guy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Speaking of uh, crazy things, the total side note, but this just blows my mind. Um, Michael Wardian, a friend of Noemi Athlete. And right. a vegetarian, a, vegetarian a slash vegan. Yes, um, I think he's mostly vegan. Um, he ran Leadville this year, finished it in twenty two hours or something like that. Twenty hours, something like that. Um, drove three hours away immediately after finishing the finish line, and within six hours of finishing Leadville, ran the Pikes Peak Marathon, which is another <laughs> another <laughs> like high altitude <laughs> marathon that has like eight thousand feet of climbing or something like that.
0: <laughs> the, okay. Do people and I'm not trying to criticize Mike Wardian. You're, he he's a friend of the the show. Been on here before. Uh, I'm I'm more just questioning the the minds the mentality. Do people do this stuff because they are looking for a record that they can own and they want to be the only person who's ever done this or the first person who's ever done this, and then and that's how you get a stroller at Badwater and all that stuff going on, or is or do they just really want to do something and push themselves and challenge themselves?
1: I I think with Mike. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for Mike. I have no idea. I think there's probably a little bit of both, and I'm sure that uh, these type of records or whatever, these type of challenges um, are are for both reasons. But I, I genuinely think that he likes to see what he can do. Right. And, sure. uh And he was like, there's these two races. I got into both of them. What if I just tried to do both of them?
0: <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I, and that's. I think that's why I asked it. Like, I, you sort of assume that it is to get some obscure record that you invented but then i mean like anyone who gets into ultra marathons i think you kind of get addicted to that that discovering what you can do because it's it ends up being a lot more than you thought i mean if you're doing 100 miles no one when they were a kid dreamed of doing 100 miles i don't think i certainly didn't right uh so i i would imagine that there are some who do this stuff only because they're addicted to that and it's not about the records at all and i don't know but it's interesting that 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 happen. That phenomenon seems to happen a lot. People just keep pushing the limit and yeah. doing whatever they can.
1: Right. The, the the most common seems to be the like double back on a point to point race. Like, right. Like that exactly. where where you get to the finish line, and you're like, well, I have to go back to the start. That's where <laughs> my that's where I left my car. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And it didn't didn't Dean Karnazes do uh like basically a Ragnar on his own. <laughs> <laughs> I know he did. I think he did. I read his book and it, he had some part in there where he was doing one of these group relays by himself and I think it was 200 miles. <laughs> That's funny. You know, right. I've never read Dean's book. I think he has a couple I th- and I think the one I read was Ultramarathon Man. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of good. It was entertaining. I don't know. All right. Uh, next one. This one, is, this one is positive but it's important to know. The vibe at Ultramarathon's at least when I got into it, is entirely different from the vibe at marathons. At least the kind I was running. Uh, <laughs> my first fifty k was was a fat ass style, which means I mean I don't even is is fat ass style still a thing? People still do that, Doug? Yes, definitely. Okay, because been this was this was eight years ago now. No, not eight. This was six years ago now. Um, where th- there's no entry fee, at least for this, there was no entry fee. Maybe there was an optional donation of 10 or $15. No, it was you're supposed to bring some water jugs and maybe some kind of food that they would put at the at these quote-unquote aid stations that were unmanned. Uh, there were a few volunteers there, but, you know, it's just totally minimal. Like, you're there for the sake of doing it. You're not there for the crowd. There's no T-shirt. There's no medal. There's, there's no one at the finish line except for the race director who, with a stopwatch and saying, nice job. So... <laughs> It's in, and that's entirely different from the rock and roll marathon scene that I was thought was cool. Like I loved that kind of marathon where it's a big city and you get the music every mile and there's crowds and big finish line to do. I mean, it's just, it's just completely different. And I think it's good to know that that's what you're getting. Cause if you, if you think your first ultra marathon, and, and I mean, maybe there are a few ultras that, that have some of that, uh, but really, not many. I mean, it's it's still an obscure kind of sport. So it's very different, but I think that's kind of a net positive. Like, the, I don't know. The marathon thing had its place for me, that, that big city fun thing. And, and, of course, there are trail marathons and smaller marathons that aren't that big a deal uh, as far as the crowd and all that. But I, the people in ultra running are just really, really good people. I, I'm sure you've noticed that, Doug. They're just – I don't know. They're just in it. They're they. Everyone has this thing in common, which is that for for whatever reason they're they're running from something, uh, <laughs> and they and they appreciate that about each other. And like when you pass someone on the trail, there's almost never any sort of you know bad vibes. It's just the the person who's being passed says nice job, keep it up. The person who's passing says nice job, keep it up. I mean, it just it just feels really good, and it's about finishing, not time so much obviously there are people who who you know make themselves exceptions to this because they're so good at it or they find a time that really matters to them but it's so much about if you finish then you you basically won and i don't know it's just it's different and really cool and totally worth experiencing if you haven't
1: yeah i uh i think that that is very accurate um you know i think that, of course there are big ultramarathons with uh more crowd support and stuff like that and, yeah, I'm kind of surprised you chose a fat ass as your first 50K. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why? Just because I was coming from the... Yeah, I don't know.
1: It just thing? seems like uh, less exciting for you.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know. It was I don't know. It was just out of convenience. That's the It was the one that, like, the group I was running, that I got into trail running with. It was what they, they all did. It was one that was really close to where we lived. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, did it for the sake of doing it. And uh, it was good. Cold.
1: Cold <laughs> yeah, got but, lost. Yeah, but there's often no big it's not a big spectacle. You're kind of just out there and you finish when you finish, and people, you know, give you some hugs. There's usually no medals or anything like that. Although increasingly there are medals. Right. As
0: the sport gets more popular, certainly there, there's more of that.
1: But I I remember so clearly my first 50 K, there was a, uh, out and back section and -hmm. towards the end, I guess it was my first 50 miler that this happened, but out and back section towards the end. And, um, every single person you passed gave you a high five. Like, it was uh-huh. like, like great job, you know, and you were ahead of them or behind them, you know, whatever, depending on where you were on the outback section. But every person, every runner was congratulating the other person. Cause we were all just about finished.
0: Right. right. It's almost like the, the runners are making up for the fact that there's no crowd. there. So <laughs> <to fight them laughs> yeah. Up. yeah. The participants are now the, the crowd and the support, which is really cool. That, that makes that add something special. Definitely. All right. I'm going to go, I've got a flip side to that. Ooh. Uh, that I will, that I'll go with one that is, that is less positive. Um, and this is one, I wrote a blog post about this like a couple months after I got into, I don't know, after I got into this trail running and ultra running thing. And some of the, my friends who I was running with got upset, uh, that, that I did this and they thought it was sort of like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was selling them out or whatever phrase they used. Uh, I wrote a blog post saying something about how ultra running has made me a worse runner. Mm. And and I I tried very carefully. I don't blame them for thinking this because obviously it was my fault for for not uh, doing a better job of of you know being clear. Uh, I try to say like I have a lot of respect for these people and what they do, and like it's not doesn't have to be about this. It's just that my particular way of embracing this different vibe, uh, where there is no speed work necessarily required, uh, because like I said, it's about finishing, not about time. So I would say. The majority of people running ultras aren't running it for a time, and therefore it's all about like a success in a long run. And this is not a universal statement. Certainly there are exceptions, but the except for me, I interpret it as success in a long run meant you finished that long run. Did time really out the window. Um, and race day was kind of the same thing. And so because of that, it's sort of easy to like I kind of like got rid of some of my I guess good habits around nutrition. Around workouts. Like, I I'd never had caffeine before runs, just didn't really like to do that, didn't like how it felt. Uh, but then, ultra running was like this laid back, relaxed vibe. And it was like, of course, you're going to have a cup of coffee before, in the hour before the race when everyone's hanging out. And then, very similarly, it, it became a great part of those ultra running or trail running things, meet up things that I did, that you'd go get beers afterwards. And you might have three or four beers. And of course that was like, a, like no one was making me have three or four beers. Um, but, uh, and of course not driving, being being carpooled home. But I don't know, I, I started associating that. I was like, hey, this is this fun new sport. And I'm, and it's like, you get to drink beer after you're done. And and I just I just can't got more into that, stopped doing speed work. Just the success was entirely based on, did I run long enough and finish what I wanted to do? And I got I got more out of shape doing that. So even though I could run further, I was much weaker of a runner compared to when I had qualified for Boston, you know, six months earlier.
1: Yeah, I completely see where you're coming from here. And, uh, you know, and I think that that laid back vibe and that kind of let's just go on an adventure attitude more than let's see how fast we can cross the finish line and everyone you know i mean like like when you run a marathon the first question that people ask is like what was your time right um when you right. run a 50k or a 50 miler people like people how many ask, beers did you drink you <laughs> how many, yeah. Did me no that's uh, not true no that's you know but joke. but they how many times did you vomit no um, <laughs> <laughs> no you know it's more like oh which one or you did what now you know that kind of thing right right uh, and it's not nearly as much about the time so people kind of drop the time and and I think that that's what a lot of people love about the sport, right? That that it's not this kind of uber competitive nature to it, right. and and in turn, like you said, a lot of people slow down and um, you know just kind of quit thinking of it as as a way to get faster and and start thinking of it as just. A fun time, a good fun. Time yeah,
0: which is good in its own way. That's cool that running has now become fun. If you get into ultra running,
1: oh, absolutely, I think right. That, That's an awesome thing. I think that is awesome. I'm 150 percent for that. But that leads into my next one, which is that if you're if you want to race a, if you want to really race it, and it's not just about finishing it, then you mm-hmm. still do need to do speed work. So I think a lot of people think that ultra running, you're if you're running for 30 or 50 miles, then there's zero importance to speed work. But if you want to run it fast, like if you want to race it, you know, and and not necessarily race other people, but just race it for yourself, finish it as fast as you can, then uh, some speed work is important. And and I'm talking about tempo work and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about 400 meter sprints, right? Um, although I'm sure that there are some people who do that too and and have success with it. But um, I, because because it's so easy to to just do nothing but slow miles and and then in turn get slower because of it, um, the speed work is, is to continue to be a well-rounded runner and then to be successful if you're trying to, to race the, the ultra, then um, you do need to continue doing speed work.
0: Yeah, I think that is important. Uh, I, I've seen it debated you know, among even people who are accomplished ultra runners whether or not speed work has a role in training and you know by debated i mean there's some people who think who are accomplished ultra runners who think you don't need to do it uh so it's not universally accepted that you need to do speed work i think though it's just such a good habit and i've never done this but if i run another one i will do this and i think if you could build in something that said one day a week i'm going to do something like a speed workout and it might be a tempo run um I would say don't make it just a slow hill run and assume that the hills are your speed work in disguise. I would say actually do, you know, do some 800s or do a, you know, 4 mile, 5 mile tempo run. Um I just think it's just a nice it's a nice sort of safeguard against the approach that I took. And I I do want to emphasize that again because like I said the people who who I was running with took offense to my writing this and I think they said that I was kind of implying that Everyone did this, and they did this. So now I'm making it clear so that other people, other you know, hardcore ultra runners, don't think I'm saying that they are necessarily the same as me and they're doing this. So it was it was my decision, and and my own you know tendency was to fall into this: drink more beer, drink more coffee, don't do speed work, just relax, enjoy the run, and have fun with it. Um, what I will do next time is make sure I build in a day that is a speed work day every week, and that I think you know it, it'll just it'll just combat the the tendency i think of of all these slow miles to make you know ha, ha, to lose fitness you right you gain some you gain something for sure you gain endurance and you gain uh mental strength but you certainly lose this this anaerobic capacity and i'm sorry this yeah anaerobic capacity um so i think just putting something in there would would at least kind of help you keep where you are without without losing ground in the, in the speed world so i'm i'm gonna build that into whatever i do
1: You should. I build it into all my plans and and plans for other people as well. Because I I do think there's a big benefit to it. And I also, I mean, just from a general runner's perspective, you shouldn't be running the exact same type of workout or run every time you run, right? I mean, you shouldn't be running slow miles all the time if you want to. Uh, continue firing on all cylinders and if you want to prevent some injuries and that kind of thing. So, right. uh, you know, I think it's good to mix it up in general. And so I think that the more you're running, because that leads into my next one, um, you are going to be increasing your mileage, most likely, and there will be a lot of slow miles. The more of those slow miles that you do, uh, the more benefit you'll see from from some sort of speed activity per week. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so that leads into my next one, which is that uh, you should expect a lot of slow miles. And this it gets more and more so as you increase the race distance. I mean, so training for a 50K probably isn't going to look that much different as far as mileage goes than training for a marathon. But, you know, if you're running a 100-miler, then you can expect the most days you're going to be doing six, seven, eight-mile slow, slow runs, right. you know. Right,
0: right. Which is precisely precisely why it's so easy to kind of fall into this trap of not doing any speed work right because the, yeah because it turns out like that's a really nice change of pace for me from coming from the marathon world, it was such a nice change that like as a as a nice metaphor in an aid station you you stop and you actually sit down you can sit down, maybe not advisable to sit down, but you hang out there for a little while and you get what you need to, and you take some time and you maybe fix your shoes or change your shoes, um Do your hair, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Training was sort of the same way. It was like, wow, that's, that's really nice that I can stop at eight stations and I don't need to rush through and think about losing these 10 seconds off my marathon time. Uh, and training kind of, for me, followed that. And it was all easy miles. And it was, it was nice. Like I, I, I just put in so many good hours of kind of these meditative sort of runs or listening to something really valuable. And that training time for me became not miserable. Like I would say it became maybe more boring, uh, that I solved that problem by finding good stuff to listen to. But it wasn't tough workouts anymore that were really hard. It was just, you know, maybe, maybe the end of a long run is tough, of course. But, like, day to day, you get used to that seven-miler, and it's quite pleasant to go out there and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that made it even harder to do speed work because now you had this contrast to the other five days of the week where it was quite pleasant and nice. Uh, so, And then I got in this mindset of, like, man— After I had done a few of those, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to ever get back to that speed work because it's been so long (laughs) since I've done that. So that's why I would highly advise, you know, I hate to go back to the previous ones, but uh, just building in, just having the discipline to have something to say, even if this isn't crucial for my performance, which who knows, it might be, uh, I'm going to do it just to to not lose sight of that.
1: You know, I have a a little bit of a solution for that or something that I have used as a tool to kind of break out of that monotony of the everyday seven mile run which okay. is to uh to have a training partner or or some sort of training group where it could just be like a, a running club uh, at your local running store or MA running club um, just to to mix things up a little bit to have other people who might challenge you hopefully your training partner uh, has different strengths than you do so you're not just uh, going at the exact same pace, but they could push you faster, or they're better on the downhills and push you on that, or climbs, or whatever. Um, or, or a running club that just makes things a little bit different. Maybe they do some run different routes than you do, or, or uh, do some speed work as part of the running club. So, I think you should, if, if anytime, really anytime you're in a in a big training block, but especially if you're in one that doesn't focus, that isn't super strict on the type of run that you're actually doing. And having a a partner or a running club that you're seeing at least once a week can be really beneficial.
0: Yes, agreed. And I think for me, someone who is quite introverted and I really enjoy that alone time of that, I I enjoyed that seven mile run and chance to listen to whatever I had to listen to, uh, still doing a long run with a partner or several partners is 50 times easier than doing it by yourself. Yes. Then a, a 20 or 30 mile run, it just, the time passes, you don't hate it. You don't think yourself into, into a corner where you just hate yourself, uh, which isn't <laughs> what I did, but I just hated <laughs> what I was doing. Um, I don't know. It just, it's just so much easier when there's an outlet of somebody to talk to and it, and it just goes. So yeah. I highly agree there. Doug. And especially if it's your first time getting into ultras and trail running, you've just learned so many kind of tips and tricks of the trade um
1: yeah just by watching people and seeing what they do and how they handle stuff
0: yeah and that actually would be a nice example for my next one which is uh i I actually got this advice and i and i should have listened to it but i got it from from training partners and uh that was that on race day you should walk every single hill you encounter no matter how small it is Mm. and if you get to the point where you're sure you're gonna finish the race and it's fine then go ahead and run those hills but I, I think there are very few runners who I think would would be ill served by this advice and would actually lose time because they walked every hill from the beginning during their first ultra marathon. Uh, I don't know. It's just a nice insurance policy against overdoing because it, it is so easy to overdo it. And uh, some other advice I got from a friend was that was that ultra running isn't that different from marathon running, but one difference is if you go out too fast and you crash when you're halfway done the race, it's 50 times worse than if you did it during a marathon because you've got an extra 20 miles that you need to do. <laughs> and it's just terrible. So for me, walking every hill was just a nice like rule that said this will at least build in some amount of walking. Even if I'm not following a 25, five run walk thing, uh, at least if I'm walking the hills, then, then, you know, I'll be doing some walking. And, and I think that's good advice. You, you know, you could, I'm not saying runner needs to follow that, but I think for the most part, if you're, uh, at all conservative, it would serve you well to to do this in at least your first one and, and get a sense for how it goes. It would probably will save you some some misery at the end of that race.
1: Agreed. Which leads very well into my next one, which is that you need to learn how to walk hills. You need to practice walking hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is is that a lot of, I see this all the time, where a runner will be running and they hit a hill. And then they, I mean, they get just like to the stroll, you know, this like laid-back strut kind of thing going up the hill. <laughs> and it's just, it's, I mean, it's probably not very efficient, and it's certainly way slower than you need to go to maintain that easy effort that you're going after by walking right. the hill. Um, but if you're if you become efficient at walking up hills and efficient at hiking, um, then you can make up a lot of ground on, or save a lot, save yourself a lot of time. And, uh, and, but still keep that heart rate really low and still, you know, keep that breathing easy. That uh, is really the whole point is so you're not using all this extra energy. Um, so I, you know, I practice, I practice hiking hills, um, ahead of a a race because I think that it's a good, it's just as important, you know, if I know I'm going to do it, it's just as important as, uh, as practicing the run.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Uh, there, there's a lot of time spent hiking up hills in, I would say most ultra marathons, even for the good runners. And if you can be someone who does that hiking, I don't know, 25% faster than, than everybody else or than most others while expending the same amount of energy, which I think is quite possible if you've learned how to do it, because the problem for most people probably is that you've trained your, you know, your running muscles for running up hills, but you just haven't trained the walking muscles. Um, there might be kind of an aerobic component to that too. I don't really know, but, uh, you're right. If you just train it, it's, it's a good thing. The way I did this was pushing a stroller up some really steep hills and that, that worked quite well for me. But I think, uh, you know, even just hiking hills and, and kind of making, just being conscious about it, like you said, and not just going into this stroll and treating it as rest time, uh, is probably the way to get better at it.
1: Yeah. So I have another one on hills, but, uh, before we get into that, I think we should pause for a second to thank our sponsor
0: for this week. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by 23andMe.com. 23andMe.com is a genetic service that can help you discover where your DNA comes from around the world. You can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, and Africa. With your 23andMe reports, you can discover your connection to the world in a whole new way by traveling to the places that reflect your DNA. Visit 23andMe.com slash That's the number 23andMe.com slash meat. What will be your DNA destination? And Matt, you
1: actually have a first-hand experience with this, right?
0: I do have a first- and second-hand experience, Doug. Uh-huh. I have a kit myself that uh, I am really looking forward to, to actually doing and sending back. And my dad, who podcast listeners know of, um, as I mentioned before, is really into this genetic stuff. And uh, he actually discovered that his his genotype is such that supplemental vitamin E uh, promotes inflammation which in his body, which is, I, you know, that sort of thing I think is really cool about the health side of it. So that's their health service, uh, 23andme.com slash meat is where to go to check it out.
1: So speaking of hills, I think that an area that people tend to neglect or, or assume is going to be just a, the easy part where they rest and it's all great is the downhill, right? So we focus mm-hmm. a lot on uphills during training but we don't really focus tend to focus too much on downhills and if you're running you know a, a race that has quite a bit of elevation change so a, a lot of downhill as well it can be just as hard on the legs and and the quads and everything as as going uphill and so it might not be as restful as you think it might be you know easier on the heart rate or something like that but uh, not so much on the legs so i wish that someone had told me and what i tell other runners is to practice the downhills have downhill days where you're going really hard on the downhill and very easy on the uphill instead of the Mm -hmm. standard which is reverse um because if you can if you can be an efficient downhill runner or an effective downhill runner um and and train your legs to withstand that type of pounding then uh, then you'll be better off late in the race when your legs are are shot and they don't want to go downhill anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, and it's something that I've never done. I don't think I was ever quite, uh, I don't know, quite serious enough about my performance in ultras, like other than like just finish to to do that and work in some of these workouts that you're talking about. But I think that's a really great piece of advice because uh, there there is a tremendous opportunity, I think, to just like on the uphills, if you can be someone who who hikes up those hills very quickly. There's another opportunity to run way faster by being someone who can really bomb down the hills fast. And that, aside from just being in shape to do that, because as you mentioned, it is very hard on your legs, um, there's also some kind of skill and finesse as a, as a trail runner to be able to do that, because that could be quite dangerous. It'd be easy to fall if you were really flying down hills, because uh, some hills are really steep. Uh, but but you know if you were effective at that, and you could do it safely and, and without too much risk of falling, and without killing your legs because you've trained them, then you know, that, that's an opportunity to make up a, or gain a ton of time. Um, what I will say, Doug is, is, I, though I never trained that, um, I did eventually learn thanks to making mistakes that you have to actually kind of be careful on those downhills because I have had, I think in my 12 hour race in training for my hundred, I, it was, it was a three mile loop, you know, cause you've done this course as well. Uh, it's a three mile loop and you just do it over and over and there's a nice downhill section. And the first, i don't know 10 loops i was thinking man this downhill section everyone else is going slow this is my chance i can i can do this without falling and i'm just gonna fly down this hill and that turned out to uh be somewhat detrimental to to the the next eight loops or however many there were because i think i really did just blow out my quads trying to catch myself on that downhill uh so i learned although it feels like you can go really fast down the hills you might not want to do that if, however, you've trained it like you're suggesting, Doug, then then maybe you can.
1: Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I've I've seen plenty of times um, someone who had a very good race, but late in the race has just totally blown out their quads, and they can't even run downhill. Like they're like just walking the downhills. They'd much rather be right. hiking it up or or running a flat or something like that because their just legs like, can't withstand any more downhill because they were going too hard or they <laughs> didn't train for it or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know. So to avoid that, you got to train for those downs. Yeah, just like I have the
0: the, my memories of pain in ultra marathons are typically when I'm running downhill at the end of a race. Mm. Like that's that's where it is most painful. And I remember, I think, in the Vermont 50 miler where I was just dreading downhills. I just I I, uphill was fine because I could hike and feel good and flat was okay too. But but by the end, running downhills was just killing my knees and ankles and everything else because my quads, you know, no longer were absorbing it because they were shot.
1: Mm hmm. I have a I have a coaching client who uh, was in I want like Aspen or, or some one of the big ski mountains during the summer, and uh, they open the trail list so you can like go up and see the view and hike down or whatever, um, and he would take laps and run just down the hill and that was training for
0: mm, for a race. Yeah, that's great. All right, moving on. Um, so. I found, and I think this, this would have been a reason for me to get into it sooner. This is a benefit, but it's also something to be aware of. You will be forced to learn a whole lot more about hydration, electrolytes, nutrition, your body temperature, and the type of gear that works. Like, it just, all this stuff kind of goes to a new level. Um, it kind of, because as I mentioned it's not, I don't think it's that physically different, you know, running a 50-miler from running a marathon. In fact, it's it's physically in some ways, physically easier because you're just not running at the same level of intensity. It's about training your body and your mind to kind of just endure and sustain that distance. Uh, but to do that, you kind of have to really dial in the hydration and nutrition stuff. Uh, and I found that my my body temperature became an issue. I, I was overheating on any kind of hot day. Once I got over marathon or 50K distance, I would, I'd start to deal with heat stuff. And I had never considered that that was a problem. In fact, I always thought that I liked running in the heat. So there's just so many little things that you – are forced to learn about if you want to do it effectively. And I would say this is probably mostly true beyond 50 K distance when it kind of really does become a different sport and so much more mental. Um, but that was, that was a tremendous benefit to me. Like I feel like I learned a whole lot about running and myself as a runner, as a result of, of really just doing that first 50 and then especially the hundred. But I don't know. I just learned and, and like actually knew the numbers for once and figured out how many ounces of water I should be drinking per half hour. When before that it was just, you know, I just drank when I was thirsty and or when I wasn't thirsty even but I it just kind of dialed all that in and uh, I found that to be a really nice a nice benefit I felt like I was just much more confident in talking about running and um, and knowing that I was kind of doing this responsibly so I, I actually enjoyed that component of it
1: yeah I, you know I think the big the you know the big difference is that you're gonna be out there so much longer I mean you're gonna be out there. Even between a marathon and a fifty k, which is only you know is only five miles difference, it could be two, three plus hours that mm-hmm. longer that you're out there. In uh, a fifty mile, you're just going to be out there that much longer. Um, so that's the nutrition and the hydration and the gear choices, all that stuff gets that much more important because you're you're on your feet that much longer. Um, yeah. So. It is exciting. It's fun. Like that kind of stuff for me anyways. Is, is fun to figure out. Um and it's fun to kind of test and that kind of stuff which leads me to mine which is to make sure that you do test and you get comfortable with everything that you're you're going to do before race day. I think that in general, the more you are prepared for an ultramarathon, the better you will be at running that ultramarathon
0: and yeah you're gonna go out on a limb and make that statement I,
1: <laughs> well i think you know i mean that whole laid-back approach that you were talking about of right you know of, of people how they approach ultras i mean i mean people just kind of think well you know i'll just i'll just wing it and not think it through very well that's uh, but true if you think it through i mean like the more time you spend thinking through the course thinking through your gear choices thinking through what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it um the better you're going to be. And uh, that seems really obvious, but I think that's an area that a lot of people neglect and they end up paying the price for it. Um, So test it, practice it. Uh, You know, we say that for everything, for every race or every distance. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to avoid saying practice your nutrition and test your nutrition and instead (laughs) uh, talk about gear because uh, during an ultra, you're going to almost certainly be carrying more gear than you would during uh, a road marathon. And, yep. um, and you should get comfortable wearing that. So if you're carrying a pack for the first time, if you're racing with a pack or a handheld or something like that, you know, don't just take it out on a, on a four mile run and, and see if it feels okay. Wear it on your long runs, wear it, um, on a lot of runs so you can get comfortable with how that feels on your back or how holding a water bottle will feel over the course of six, seven, eight hours or more.
0: Right. Right. Yes. Totally True. Um, the gear just becomes a much bigger part of the whole strategy because you, you have to kind of be self-supporting for longer stretches of, of distance than, than in a marathon where there's a station every two and a half miles. Uh, and you, and you kind of need to be prepared for more circumstances like carrying extra socks, probably not extra shoes, but, uh, you got to just have extra stuff. Um, so that's really important and kind of related to my next one, which is a very specific example of that, I guess. And it is that shoes make a tremendous difference uh, in how you feel and maybe whether or not you're going to finish a race. So this maybe could be personal. I don't know that, that this is true for everyone. Um, but I feel like I would not have finished my 100-miler if I didn't have Hoka shoes. And this is when they were kind of new. And I know now there are plenty of other maximal shoes that have a large, thick sole. So I'm not necessarily saying Hoka's are a, a magic pill that is the only shoe that will work for this, um, but for me, I, I, I wore hokas, so I didn't really know about hokas, I didn't really know that it was anything, I didn't, didn't know it was a brand, didn't know it was a French word, actually it's not a French word, is it Doug? <laughs> is it a French company?
1: <laughs> I, I don't even know.
0: Anyway, but during that 12 hour race, uh, which is also a 24 hour race, which which you Doug have, have won, you have a nice uh, title up from, right? That's right. Trophy?
1: 2015... Winner of the Black Mountain Monster 24 hour race.
0: There you go. Uh, so I ran the 12 hour version of this, and I think it was in 2013. And that's where I first saw people wearing these ridiculous looking giant clown shoes that were called hokas. And it turned out that was all the people in the, it, not all, but many of the people in the 24 hour version of the race were the ones who were wearing those. And so that's what kind of put them on the map for me. And I started Googling them and finding them, and I ended up buying a pair kind of just out of curiosity. They just seemed really interesting. and I saw that so many people were swearing by them. So I got a pair and maybe wore them for like one 20 mile run during that ultra training. I think I was probably doing a back-to-back in, in the final few weeks of that training. And I wanted to just break them in and try them. And I loved them. And I thought it was great. And I noticed that I did not have the same joint soreness and stiffness that I typically would after a run of that distance. Uh, so I wore them for the beginning of my hundred miler at some point, just felt like I should switch it up for my feet's sake, just kind of try something different, give them a different stimulation, make them work in a different way. And that was a big mistake in that race. It turned out that I, I wore them for probably 13 miles or something until I next saw my crew again and switched right back to the Hoka's and wore them the entire time. It was just a night and day difference of how much pounding I was feeling on my feet. And by the end of that race, by the end of, I would say, almost any hundred and, and maybe most fifties as well, your feet become kind of the limiting factor and, and they're a source of a lot of the pain for a lot of runners. Uh, and I think, you know, the more cushioning, like I'm not someone who says you should, you should train in really big cushiony shoes all the time. Cause I think that's not a good idea, but kind of targeted use like race day and some of your longest runs. If I had known that, uh, I think I could have just, you know, done a better job in, in the entire race by wearing the shoes the entire time. And uh, probably done a better job in some of the training runs as well. So I I really think shoes are important. I'm not saying that maximal shoe is the right shoe for everyone, but it's just kind of driving home the point of you should really test different stuff and find what works really well for you uh, because as the miles increase, that kind of stuff makes a really big difference compared to in a shorter race.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Good. So I've only got one more. How many do you have? I have have
0: only one more as well. No, I have two more. I have two more, but they're kind of the same. (laughs) <laughs> okay they, they could go together nicely
1: all right so mine's mine's a little little cheesy maybe
0: well mine these are feel good too we're we're bringing it home here all though. Right. this is Bring we're it sending it filled. off trying to get people to do run their run their ultras despite all the bad things we've said well, why don't why don't you go ahead because they might be the same okay so my first one is that you should be careful because whatever distance you are imagining yourself doing it's probably not going to be enough for you it just it spoke <laughs> about the addictive nature of this sport or whatever, this kind of self-discovery or whatever this thing is that, that kind of uh, inspires ultra runners to keep pushing the limits. And I, when I got into this, 50 miles was my thing. I I knew that people did 100 milers, but I was not interested in doing that. Um, just like I know lots of people who get into running and I tell them like, you know, you could do a marathon one day. And they're like, absolutely not, not going to happen. And then a year later, they're they're signed up for the marathon because they just it just happens. You do a 10 K and you want to do a half and you do a half and you're like, Oh my God, maybe I could do a, a marathon, which actually really speaks to how much I think we say we don't want these things. And really all it is that is that we're afraid of, of Ooh, failing at them. Right. That's because, deep, deep stuff right there. Yeah. I mean, cause if, if like the more you, the more you prove that you can do stuff, the more you want to do the next thing, it, it makes me think that a lot of it is just that you, you think you can't. So you're not willing to accept it as something that you want to do. Uh, anyway though, for me, it was 50. I thought when I do 50, that's, that's all I need. That's fine. And sure enough, I don't know if it was as soon as I did that or whatever, you start hanging around different people and then everyone who I was running with had done hundreds and did them routinely. And it was like, man, I, I need to do that. So, and it wasn't just because I wanted to be like them, but I just was like, I, I kind of gotten enough evidence that I could actually do a hundred if I, if I set my mind to it. So that is my warning. If you think you're just getting into a 50 K to do a 50 K, uh, you should be be prepared to to become a fifty miler after that, and then a hundred miler. Just I think it might happen.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that.
0: Okay. Um
1: Well, okay. So mine mine is simply that uh, that the experience is going to be so much more fun than it it seems on paper.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> we're making it seem.
1: Well, I mean, I you know, I just uh, like. You, you're you going to hurt in an ultra marathon. I mean, there's no question about it. yeah, right. It's going to hurt. There's going to be low points. You're going to doubt yourself. Uh, you're going to probably swear off ultra running forever. Um, only to a couple days later, or even when you cross that finish line, and someone hands you that beer or, or Gatorade or whatever. Uh, you're just going to be so excited about what you accomplished and, um, and you're going to want to do it again. You're going to be, you're going to, I think that they're, I can't, I can't even count the number of times that I have come home from a race, taken a nap, woken up and started looking at new races (laughs) (laughs) because I'm just so, I'm like just so pumped about the experience and just had such a good time, not only about what I was able to with, not only with what I was able to accomplish, but you know, just doing it with the camaraderie of that community. It's just super cool. So that's, that's, that's my final one is that, uh, not only are you going to want to go up in distance, but you're just going to be eager to do it again. So be prepared for that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's totally true, and we've we've talked about this before. It was a long time ago, but um, like I've definitely had the thing where you, where you where you retire from running in the middle of you know mile twenty five of your fifty k. You say this is ridiculous. Why am I spending any time doing this? This is terrible. I'm never gonna do this again. <laughs> and then you know a week later you're you're back into it, and you've got a new race on the. And I'm like, well, why do we do this? It seems totally irrational that we could in, in you know just be so committed to never running again. And then just time goes by, and we're back into it. And I think something somewhere I read—I think it might have been uh, Dan Gilbert's book *Stumbling on Happiness*—how we have this bias, and somehow we remember the outcome of an event more more than the actual experience of it. Mm. And like that's how our mind kind of files it away because you can't you can't really—I mean, you could store the full experience, but you can't really access it very easily. So your mind just picks the the outcome of that event and the end of it, and says that is what I am choosing to remember. And there's some actual evidence to back this up. But I think that's perhaps why we we uh, we remember with the good, the great, the euphoria of being done and how great that feels, and then looking back at the accomplishment and then all the camaraderie of of all these other people who are in the same situation where you're telling stories and you know that's it's it's a wonderful experience. And uh, to this day, my hundred miler, which was like my not my not my best race by any means, it was I, you know I, I ran it okay. I had had a lot of trouble. It certainly wasn't like qualifying for Boston. Like it was nothing like that level of feeling. Like wow, I. I totally nailed it today uh but that 100 is is my favorite race day just the memories of that is just such a good thing so uh as much as we're saying it's it's bad hard uh and that you will hurt it's just totally worth it it's just it's just awesome and i don't know if it's worth it doing over and over and over but it is worth it to do it is worth doing once uh and for me my final one is that i guess people like and, and even me when i was Thinking about this, I just marveled at the possibility that you could run 100 miles. It just it just seemed like a freak accomplishment that people shouldn't be able to do. And once I did it, what I tell people when they when they express that same, you know, uh, sentiment, I guess, I tell them it's like it's really not that different from you running a marathon. When I say I'm talking to someone who's run a marathon and they say I just can't imagine doing 100. That just is crazy. Like I tell them that I think I might have not been in quite as good a shape as when I was a marathoner. But I had learned how to do it. And I and that just comes from the training. And like yes, clearly there is some there is some physical stuff that changes. We've talked about that with the with the hill stuff and just the putting in these longer miles. But I think the, the biggest lesson that I took from that and have taken and hope to take again, uh is I shouldn't say a lesson. The the biggest change that I underwent is that I learned to be good at not quitting things Mm. because for me like that's what that's what ultras are a a big struggle for like that's what the race day uncertainty is about like right there's you i don't know you're running at a slow enough pace i think that like at least in my experience you kind of know how it's going to go certainly there can be some variation you might just not be feeling it one day um but but it's like the the question comes up when you get two thirds or three quarters of the way into the race that's where the uncertainty is, is how are you going to handle that moment when you start to really feel like quitting? And it's probably you probably feel more like quitting when you're 65 percent done than when you're 90 percent done because you've got so much left. So the uncertainty is like, what's how am I going to handle it when that happens? And that's what I feel like it taught me. It taught me to be really good at like putting that scenario in a in a box in my head and saying, like, here's one thing you could do. You could stop now and you could you could feel pleasure in the very short term because you're not miserable anymore uh but you're gonna feel you're gonna hate that you quit after that for a long time maybe forever and i just think it kind of makes all that and certainly you know we have that decision all the time in our lives with different things that we're doing work and kids and whatever else we're dealing with that is requiring some sort of endurance um so i think you know putting it in this very tangible sense where it is physical pain that you get to stop having if you quit. I don't know. I just felt like I I took a very very valuable lessons and uh and new skills from that that have just maybe maybe better able to handle things in in normal life.
1: I definitely agree with that. 100%. Good. All right. Then I've done my job. You have you have done <laughs> your job. You've convinced me that I need to run another ultramarathon. <laughs> okay.
0: Good. Awesome. <laughs> all right well maybe i've convinced myself we'll we'll see about that that remains to be seen
1: i'm going to between now and you registering every every (laughs) topic that i pitch is going to be uh ultramarathon
0: (laughs) related so it's just the only Uh, thing you're thinking about yeah it might work (laughs) good well go for it doug i appreciate that that'd be helpful (laughs) good all right any final thoughts about marathon doug's final thoughts (laughs) (laughs) A <laughs> new
1: segment, Dougs.
0: Final remember, it used to be Jerry's final thought. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Jerry Springer.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Put on your glasses, right? Uh, or take <laughs> take off your glasses. Some
0: I still remember that part. Is that what he did? He took off his yeah. bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we need to we need to get back to doing either downward facing Doug or Doug's final thought. Maybe we need to start a new with new thing. Yeah, it's just been a weird. It's been a weird few weeks
1: with you traveling, and
0: yeah, that's true. It has been. We, we haven't done an in-person one of these in, in like, o- over a month now. I know. It's crazy. So, we'll get back to them.
1: Um, we also have a few guests lined up, so that'll be happening yes, soon.
0: we sure do. And lots of changes afoot at No Mean Athlete that I'm excited about. Many, many changes. Yes, good ones. Good ones that will mean better and more consistent content for the listener reader, I hope. Um. All right, well, I hope people hear this, and I hope they find it helpful and I hope it encourages them to do ultra marathons because it, it as we've said it is a, it, definitely a net positive experience there are very few people who I would say like who've run a marathon and I would say no, nope, ultra running is not for you you shouldn't you probably shouldn't get in <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a good experience it's it it is it is different it is less exercise and it is more uh an adventure fair fair good all right well then that is enough this has been a long episode I think uh so we should wrap it up Take care, everybody. Have a have a good one. Happy run. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.